Welcome to Wise and Nice, a true crime podcast with your hosts Danny Armstrong and Kelly Lee. Please remember that we mean no disrespect to anyone mentioned in this episode or across any of the Wise and Nice platforms. We have an interest in true crime and related topics, and whilst we may offer our own personal views on certain items, it is meant to be educational and as light-hearted as possible. The information we present is collated from research gathered from the internet, and we reference and credit our sources wherever possible. If you've liked what you've heard and want to join in with us, follow us on our socials, Instagram, Wives and Knives the Pod, Twitter, at Knives Wives, and Facebook, Wives and Knives Pod. We also have a little website where we post photographs and other information about the cases that we research. And this is wivesandknives.wixsite.com forward slash my site. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Wives and Knives. Yes, hello everybody. Hope you're all doing well out there. Um, I'm going to start by saying thank you for listening. I don't know, Kelly. I don't know. Yeah. As well, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. sticking with us. It's always nice, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, how are you, Kelly? Yeah, I'm not bad. Um busy, busy as usual, but nothing exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I can say a similar thing. I'm very busy, but it's nothing worth telling anybody about. <laughs> No, I'm at the point that I am so fucked up with work at the moment that I literally can't talk about it because I'm that fucked up with it. Yeah. No, Um, I hear you. Yeah. There's just, at the moment, there's so much sad things going on in my life that I'm taking joy from buying, like, a nice yoghurt as a treat in Asda. It's, like, a real up point of my weekend so there we go um we are going to do a little recommends episode for you all of just things that we've been loving that are true crime or crime related i'd say although my first one i'd say isn't true crime but i found it so bloody interesting and it was actually one of my friends who listens to this podcast recommended it to me um amy if she's listening thank you for letting me know about this because i became obsessed with it for days like just days and days of researching and even though it's not true crime it feels like true crime So, it is a podcast called Missing Richard Simmons. And I think I did tell you about this at the time when I was listening to it, did I, Kelly? You did, yeah. Right. Let me just get some details up about it. Because for anyone that doesn't know, and I didn't know um, when I started listening to this, like I had no idea who Richard Simmons was. Um, he was shameful. shameful. No, I didn't know. I think um, I think he's more famous in America than he is over here, and he was more famous in like the eighties, nineties, noughties than he is now. So he's essentially a fitness guru 
And on the 15th of February, 2014, he disappeared. And that is like the tagline for the podcast. And why I was like, oh my God, it's true crime. It's not true crime. He didn't disappear in the sense of disappearing that you may be thinking. He just withdrew from public view. So essentially, he was this huge star and like, Obviously, Kelly, you knew who he was because you think shame on me for not knowing. But he was kind of a Mr. Motivator character. He had all these um, like fitness and swimming clubs. He had gyms. He was very much in like um, all lycra all the time. And he had this little like blondish curly hair. And he was a huge character, like really bubbly, really vivacious. And he made a huge impression on the people that he met. He formed real relationships with people that he helped through his swimming business. And he was so, um, so approachable to fans. On the um, podcast, there's a guy that speaks on it who did those sort of Hollywood tours and he said they always used to go past Richard Simmons' house because Richard would make a point of coming out and meeting his fans and having pictures with them and he seemed to really love being a celebrity um, and this comes across in like interviews with him he just seems like almost the ideal celebrity as in he's approachable he seems to really care about his fans and he was just this huge character um is there anything that you think is important about him that i haven't mentioned thus far uh, no i think your descriptions they're quite accurate yeah yeah really sort of exuberant um he used to host a lot of like fitness classes himself so if you lived in the Hollywood area you could go and have a class by him and then maybe like the next day he'd be on a talk show like Ellen or Oprah or something he was that much of a celebrity but he was so accessible and these classes he would get really emotional in and to me this seems a bit weird um, but I am really fucking cynical and don't deal with emotion very well. So maybe it's me that has the problem. But when people would say like, oh, I feel so much better about myself because I have, I've got fit and thank you, Richard, he'd like break down in tears and he'd be like, oh, it's my gift to help you. And like, he was seemed so invested. There was people he'd met at his like slimming clubs because he'd just turn up to them. I'm guessing they were kind of franchise like Slimming World or Weight Watchers is over here. Um, and they were called Slimmins. So like Slim with Richard Simmons, Slimmins. And he'd turn up at them and there'd be these people starting their like weight loss journey. And he'd exchange numbers and he'd phone and check in on them and offer emotional support that was above and beyond what he needed to do, but also what he was qualified to do. So he became deeply embroiled in all these people's lives. And then one day he just stopped showing up. He cancelled all public appearances and he stopped showing up to his gyms um, and his classes and things like that. And 
people began to question like was he all right where'd he gone it seemed that the only people he had any kind of um correspondence with were his brother his manager and his maid that lived in the house with him he went as so much as like taking the um like letterbox off the front of his big gated house there was just no way to get in contact with Richard and it was very clear he didn't want that contact anyway and from this rumors began to spring up like was he was he seriously ill um was he being held hostage and there was a lot of him like criminal accusations being thrown around and I don't want to ruin this for anyone who would like to listen to the podcast so I'm not going to tell you what had actually happened but the podcast is is it maybe like six or eight episodes let me just have a little look it is six episodes and each episode is I think just about just under an hour or something and when I started listening to it I could not stop it has hints of crime in it it has hints of conspiracy theory but it also delves into kind of psychology and human emotion and how much you can ever really know somebody else um, somebody who is like a celebrity we might think we have access to them but we don't really know them and it's about how much is a front and how much is really them there's lots of interviews with people who believe that Richard was a huge part of their lives and felt somewhat betrayed when he disappeared and you get to see a whole myriad of reactions surrounding his disappearance. And it's it's really interesting from a psychological point of view. So if you are interested in true crime stuff and like the psychology side of it, I can totally see why you'd be into this as well. It, it was just really good, really easy to listen to. Um and it did lead me down loads of googling and and stuff like that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've told so many people about it since. So there we go. That is a uh, missing Richard Simmons. It is a headlong podcast by Pineapple Street Media. Um, but I'm I mean I listen to stuff on Apple Podcasts, but I'm pretty sure you could get it anywhere. And uh, it is available yeah. on Apple. Yeah. Yeah. 10 out of 10 recommend brilliant there we go that is my first recommendation Fantastic. i think you'd really like it as well so if if you've got a couple of hours that you want to you know not be thinking about work feel free to put that <laughs> i might listen to it at work tomorrow <laughs> fantastic no i remember you raving about it and like adding it to my list of things to listen to because of how passionate you were about it and because i do <laughs> Can you know tell? who he is <laughs> yeah but you know it's good it's good well yeah. actually my my first recommendation is a recommendation for you specifically yeah well because i know how much you love a con oh so yeah so this is um yeah, this recommendation is a bit, uh, you know, like you very much love cons of the ilk of like inventing Anna and yeah. things like that. 
so there is a new documentary um it's an australian documentary it's on paramount plus at the moment okay and it's called con girl oh i love it already <laughs> so basically it offers the astonishingly bizarre story of a woman named samantha as a party okay and during the documentary you find out that she also goes by a lot of other names like annika coco layla emily or harper lots and there, there are loads more but the thing is, yeah. is that the, these cons they're just so strange and like frustrating um it actually takes four one-hour episodes to sort of try and unravel them now okay. I'd, my only sort of um warning about this would be i'm not sure it needed to be that many episodes to be honest was it like um, a classic Netflix thing where, like, it's a really good story, but you've just wasted your life? Yes and no. Like, I feel like I say you do need that time to go through all of the cons because there are so many of them. Yeah. Um, and they all kind of interconnect a little bit. Um, but I'm just not sure that it needed to be that many episodes. And even though, it, like I say, it covers all of the cons, it never quite sort of gets to... Um, like the main source of like the problem if that makes sense yeah so i would i would recommend doing your own sort of research on samantha as a party okay. um and if you if you want to start researching her then you probably start the best place um as the documentary does with the story um that became known in the irish press as gpo girl right so I'd never heard of this, um, but basically GPO Girl was a young woman who was found in a distressed state near the GPO Museum in Dublin in 2013. Now, they actually believed that she was approximately 14 years old. And during her time spent in a children's hospital and through sort of drawings, um, it implied that she was the victim of a possibly a trafficking ring. Now I say implied because the girl doesn't really communicate verbally. And so okay. despite, despite involving Interpol and like the missing persons bureau, the police or the Garda in Ireland, they couldn't identify her. So eventually they actually took like a covert picture of her and took the unusual step of releasing that to the press. And that, with that releasing of that photo, that's when things get really interesting. Because mm -hmm. this 14-year-old child actually turns out to be a 25-year-old Australian woman. Oh, and, my God. Yeah. And she is well known to the authorities as a serial con artist. This by is the so name. my street. Like, how exactly. do I get that amount? Well, <laughs> I'll just sponsored. I mean, I'm not being sponsored, but I will give you my login for it because I do enjoy it. I think the true crime stuff is pretty good on there. Um, but, yeah, so they, they realise that this woman's 25-year-old from Australia and she's called Samantha as a party. Now, the documentary tells you all about her long history of lies and tall tales. And yeah. to give you an example... In one case, she pretends to be a 15-year-old gymnast with a Russian background. 
Uh, yeah. she, she enrolls in a high school in Perth and she befriends a teenager by the name of Hope. And she actually moves in with her family. Um, like she gives them this really detailed story that her parents and her twin sister had died in like a horrible family tragedy. Um, like going as far to say that it was a murder-suicide where her dad had killed her mum and her twin sister. So you can only imagine what, like, this teenager that she's friends with is thinking. Anyway, yes. her parents, like Hope's parents, they believe all this and they feel so sorry for this, like, 15-year-old gymnast. that they actually offer to adopt her. And, like, they're fully going through with the adoption yeah. until um, there's, like, an issue with suspicious documentation Obviously, they don't adopt her, but they find out that it's Samantha and she was 23 at the time that she was doing this. Mm. Like, more cons are explained throughout the documentary. There are like faked illnesses, faked qualifications, um, fake promises of work. You can literally take your pick. But throughout the program, you see um like her victims you hear all about what she did to them and how she has clearly affected their lives like then and now yeah like it is it is a really good case but what gets me is that there just doesn't seem to be any clear motive like as to samantha's actions or the cons like she's she's not after any monetary gain or anything right. like that it's all very odd um, like it, in my opinion, she just seems addicted to the con, mm. you know, just purely that. Possibly, maybe there's some borderline personality disorder. I don't know, but yeah. If you want to have an opinion on it, then obviously you need to go ahead and watch it. And as I've said, it's available on Paramount Plus now for parter called Con Girl. Oh my god, it sounds so good, and it sounds ideal. You will love it. You will. I was like watching this going, oh, she's going to love this. I need to tell her about this. She's definitely going to love this. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're into cons as much as Danny is, then please do yeah. watch it. Well, yeah, I don't, I just, I do love a, love a hearing about a con and how people get away with stuff like that. And yeah, it's great. Yeah. And I think as well, the thing that I like about, um, con cases is how they you kind of think to yourself don't you these people must be so stupid to have believed these lies but when you're in it i understand it's oh, like 100 yeah like with the tindler swindler you know yeah. i feel sorry for those women because i get it i do understand how they get away with things like this and how they make it so believable. Um, and this Samantha as party is exactly the same as that. You can't believe some of the things that she does and the type of characters that she pretends to be and the amount of lies that she tells and how how well done it is, like how clever she is with it. It's yeah. kind of impressive on some level, you know? Yeah, I always think like if these people could put that much intelligence and um <laughs> dedication into doing something good oh my god what could they achieve exactly yeah definitely well thank you for that recommendation that is great 
my second one is a book and it isn't true crime it is just crime um not true at all but so fucking good so there is an author called claire douglas who i discovered at the beginning of january she was my first book of the year and i consequently ended up reading two more by it in quick succession and i've had to take a like a short break from reading her books because um not a criticism on her writing but they have like a similar voice and they're set in similar places and I'd read three in such a short amount of time I was getting confused over what world I was in almost um but all of them have been absolute like crackers in my mind and I host a book club and we read one of them for the book club and the general consensus is everyone else enjoyed it as well um so the first book I read by her was The Couple at number nine and just to sort of entice you in I will tell you a little about it so it's about this young couple who end up um being gifted like like an early inheritance a house that used to belong to her grandma her grandma is suffering from dementia and is in a care home so now this like lovely little holiday cottage has been given to them because um they are going to start a family and you know the the house isn't doing anything so they they move in and that as part of sort of settling in they decide to um, do a bit of an extension and part of that involves digging up the garden and when they dig up the garden they find two bodies and these bodies are um, exhumed and there is a post-mortem and they find out that they died whilst her grandma was living in that house so it's all about the investigation into who these people are and how they ended up buried in the garden but it's um punctuated by the mixed up recollections of the the grandma or the nan that's in the care home and you don't know what is true and what is the dementia speaking and if she's remembering sort of the correct order of events and it just adds a really interesting twist to a whodunit that I've never seen before. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was written in like um, loads of short chapters, and the chapters were different people's viewpoints. So, as the story continued, you were like piecing together. Um, how different people saw the same situation which was really good as well but the actual language used in it is quite easy to read it's not the kind of thing that you feel out for fuck's sake like what does that actually mean it was like an easy read in so much as the actual language um which i i really enjoyed because i could just immerse myself in the story um, I will not be ruining the endings for any of these because they are so twisty. Like, you will start reading it and think, oh, this is so obvious how it's going to end. And then something else happens and you're like, fucking hell, I didn't see that coming. And just, I'm rubbish at guessing the ends of things anyway, but these books were 
so twisty turny they were just great so the couple at number nine is the first one i read then i read one called last seen alive um which again fantastic the premise um this like woman and man um do a house swap they go to this house the house is a bit fucking weird they feel like they're being watched when they're there they don't have a very nice time various things happen like it's it's not okay um they come home and there's a dead body in their garden like who had they swapped houses with because it wasn't who they thought they had and again um different people's viewpoints per chapter um really strong narrative dead twisty dead turny the endings of all her books answer 90% of the questions you'd have which is fine for me if you're the kind of person that likes everything tied up really neatly maybe you'd find the endings a little frustrating if you're happy with a little bit of ambiguity um then i read then she vanishes which is funnily enough one about a girl that vanishes um <laughs> at, a, at a fairground like two sisters go there and only one sister comes back and it's many many years later and um a reporter come, it's very like this makes it sound so formulaic but like a reporter who was friends with them when they were younger comes back to investigate it very much like a um sort of common crime fiction setup but just just really enjoyable and um great descriptions you even though they have a lot of characters in all these books have a lot of characters in i think they're quite easily defined from each other that i didn't struggle with it whereas sometimes i've read books that have had huge amounts of characters in and they all kind of blend into one after a while i didn't find that with her books so if you do like a sort of crime thriller kind of book i'd, I'd check out and um, check out her books i've got one on reserve um, as an ebook and I am planning to read all of her books I just needed like a little break to read something a little bit different but absolutely fantastic Kelly what else have you got oh well yeah I was just gonna say um Sharon who's one of the OG members of uh, Wives and Eyes she was um also recommending Claire Douglas as well wasn't she I think off the back of your like book club recommendation so um like posting like little instagram messages to each other being like i've just finished this one or like <laughs> um so yeah i know i know it isn't just me that's going through like a claire douglas phase at the moment yeah but i really like that if you find an author i know like you said it's good to have a break so you don't feel oversaturated by them but also it's so nice to find an author that you love and oh, especially yeah. if they're consistently good, which this person seems to be, because I can't find um, like I can't find anything below four and a half stars. Yeah, um, so, her, you know, so not not both of you can be wrong, can you? I'll tell you what is also endearing and lovely. Um, when I've read a book, I normally um put it on my Instagram stories, and then I add it to a little. What's it called? Like a 
I don't know, where you can save stories called yeah. books. And it's very helpful because I can look back at all the books I've read um, over, say, like, I think I've been doing it about a year, the past year, and see what I thought of them. And it stops me buying books I've already read. And yeah. it sometimes, like, jogs my memory over, oh, you have read something by that author and you thought it was good. Like, I just find it quite quite useful. I know a lot of people use Goodreads, um, but I... I have commitment issues i can't commit to writing a proper review for everything i read but i can take a picture of it and um picture of claire douglas's book and i put like like completely twisted turn he really loved it and she messaged me and was like thank you i'm glad you enjoyed it oh, and nice. like, oh i love that <laughs> oh that's so nice yeah definitely well, um, I guess my final recommend plays in quite nicely, really, because I was going to say, as most of you are already aware, I'm quite the movie lover, where Danny will regale you with her love of books. It's usually me that recommends the TV or the film. Yeah. Um, so since I first heard about this movie, um, I think it was like back in 2021 when I heard they were making it, I have been dying to see it. I mean, I watched the official trailer ages ago and, and instantly I was like, this is for me. Like, you know, you know when you just know you're going to love something. Yeah. So the tagline for this movie pulled me in too. And as it will with any with the same, it said, based on a true story. Um, mm -hmm. So the movie that I'm referring to is called Cocaine Bear. And <laughs> so today, as well as strongly recommending it, I just thought it would be interesting to take us briefly through the true story. Yeah. Um, because, because it is a true crime story. So bear with me, if you will, um, because our tale begins in 1985 with a man called Andrew Thornton. Okay. So... Andrew C. Thornton II was born on the 30th of October 1940 in Bourbon County, Kentucky, and he grew up in Lexington. And he had quite, um, like, a, his family were very well off, uh, so he attended some really, like, prestigious schools. Um, and he also, like, went to university, uh, the University of Kentucky. Okay. Now, after he dropped out of university, he actually enlisted in the army and he received a Purple Heart for his service, which is quite a big deal. Yeah. Um, in 1968, Andrew Thornton joined the Lexington Fayette Police Department and he became a member of the Lexington Police Department's first narcotics office. And that meant that he worked very closely alongside the Drug Enforcement um, Agency, the DEA. So Andrew Thornton was not your usual police officer. Um, I've heard him described as like a starskin hutch type of cop. So if you imagine, I know that's too young reference for you, but like <laughs> fast, fast cars, like quite flamboyant, you know, maybe not always on the straight and narrow um, so anyway, during his time um, with the police, he actually took night classes um, back at the University of Kentucky and he it was through their College of Law. So he actually got a law degree in 1976. Now, whilst, whilst he was at university, though, he dabbled in drugs and 
he made quite a swift transition from dabbling to dealing and then smuggling drugs, right? Mm -hmm. And this was also at the same time that he was a police officer. Wow. So full-time police officer, part-time law student, and part-time drug smuggler on the side. So he eventually left the police force and he started working as a drug smuggler full-time. And him and his friends had, I believe it was called The Company, like an original drug sort of uh, yeah. gang's name but um he had like quite a good system set up so he'd fly his like Cessna jet like this small private jet like to and from Colombia like picking up the drugs and then carrying them back in this small aircraft and then dropping them at specific points like on the way back um and these like drops would then be collected by members of his crew like his friends his contacts so if we fast forward to the 11th of september 1985 andrew thornton was actually doing just that so his plane was on the way back from columbia and him and his partner like at the time um, in the drug running trade, they began dropping packages of cocaine in Georgia. Now, we'll never know exactly what happened on that flight, but we can imagine that Andrew perhaps like got into some trouble. Like, I don't know if the plane developed a problem or he thought that he was maybe being tracked or followed by the law at that time. But something happened because Andrew and his partner decided to jump from the plane. So he pulled on his parachute and he packed like himself with as much cocaine as he could manage to carry. And then he exited the aircraft. So according to the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, as Andrew jumped out of the plane, he um, hit his head on the tail of the aircraft, likely knocking himself out. And he was found dead later that day on a driveway in Knoxville, Tennessee, with oh his God. failed parachute strapped to his back and a duffel bag full of like 34 bundles of cocaine. And the plane, which was obviously like unmanned at that time, I believe it was on, um, what do they call it? What do they call it when um, it's on like, automatic pilot? Is it? Yeah, autopilot. Yeah, autopilot. So the plane's on autopilot, um, but it crashes over 60 miles away in North Carolina. And at the time, so when Andrew is found, he's actually wearing a bulletproof vest, um, night vision goggles, and he's wearing Gucci loafers. And yeah. he's got... Um, this large duffel bag which contains like about 75 pounds of coke which is valued at approximately 15 million at that time wow so where does the bear come into it i hear you yeah. asking <laughs> <laughs> well three months later in december of 1985 a 175 pound black bear was discovered in the chattahoochee natural forest uh, sorry national forest um sadly the bear had died but this wasn't natural causes. The bear had died of an overdose. So our bear, who would hence be referred to as Pablo Escobar, had found oh um, one of Andrew Thornton's like discarded packages of cocaine and had ingested it. So rumours 
have long circulated that the bear ate like approximately 40 packages of coke, which would be about 3.5 pounds. Um, but the official autopsy for the bear, which was carried out at the time by um, George's chief medical examiner, officially reported that the bear had three to four grams of cocaine in its bloodstream, but its stomach was filled to the brim with cocaine. Oh, my God. So this poor bear is just ambling around the forest, finds these random packets and just starts chewing away at them, opens them up and eats everything inside. And the bear dies almost immediately after consuming the drug. But yeah. its story doesn't quite end there. So the chief medical examiner, Dr. Alonzo, he didn't want to sort of just, like not waste, but he didn't just want to get rid of the bear so he actually had it taxidermied and he gave it to the Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area yeah now it didn't it didn't end there so eventually that bear was like they must have decided they didn't want it anymore so it has had quite a few other owners in its history like it was in a pawn shop for a while and then it was actually bought by like a millionaire Chinese businessman yeah but when well, when this businessman died, um, the owners of Kentucky for Kentucky Fun Mall, which is in Lexington, Kentucky, they actually contacted um, this businessman's wife and they were like, is there any chance we could buy it off you? And she was like, you know what, you can have it for free as long as you cover the handling and the shipping. And uh. <laughs> so they go for it, like, absolutely. And that is actually where Pablo Escobar remains to this day. So if you're ever in the area of Lexington, Kentucky, and want to visit Kentucky for Kentucky Fun Mall, you can actually see the original bear, um, taxidermied Pablo Escobar. That's the so main reason why I'd want to be in Kentucky. I mean, I definitely, if I was there, I'd definitely go and have a look at it. Yeah. So in the movie Cocaine Bear, which includes an old dark hat, a great writer and an awesome director in Elizabeth Banks, um, the bear doesn't die after ingesting the drugs. The bear develops what I would call a usual reaction to cocaine and just goes on a cocaine rampage, killing like most of the people involved in the drug drop, as well as a few unsuspecting locals and nature lovers. Uh -huh. um, it's a thoroughly enjoyable comedy action movie. And uh, I think Elizabeth Banks sort of said this, that it kind of gives the bear like it's deserved ending, if that makes sense. It's kind of like a little bit of revenge, I guess, for the bear. Yes, and it's like a proper ending to the true story of Pablo Escobar. So if you're looking for that level of fun, action, coked up, you know, predator <laughs> uh, i cannot recommend cocaine bear enough it's i feel like there's a very niche uh, group of people who will be like yeah that's what i need well apparently it's already taken 8.9 million this weekend so i'm Amazing. not alone um, but like I say, if you're into comedy action movies, you know, they're a little bit silly, are allegedly based on a true story, then, you know, give it a go. I really don't think you'll be disappointed. <laughs> That's so funny. I would definitely go and see Pablo Escobar. <laughs> I think they should have called it Pablo Escobar, personally. That would have been great. 
but yeah so i think that's it really isn't it nice um short and sweet little recommends episode be back next week with something a little bit more meaty everyone stay safe and we'll see you next week bye bye